Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. My guest this week is Rob McCargo, technology impact leader for PwC and one of the most influential voices on emerging technology in the world. And if you are even remotely interested in anything to do with AI and its impact and power to change pretty much every industry and by association, every career, then this is the podcast for you. There's been a huge surge in demand from leaders all over the world wanting to know how technology and especially AI can impact their organizations. And Rob has combined this wave of interests with his experience of how to grow his personal brand to drive some pretty significant business results for PwC. This journey has taken him from being a recruitment consultant just a few years ago to being now one of the leading voices in the world on technology today. If you are interested in AI, social media, and influencer marketing, then strap yourself in because you're going to find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. This is old. This is new. This is Influence. Rob McCargo, welcome to This is Influence. Nathan, thank you so much for the opportunity to join you on today's show. Super excited to have you on the show. An amazing string of achievements and, and accolades will We'll get into all of that because it wasn't always that way, which I'm, I'm sure the, that you're going to come on to speak about in a moment. But first question that we ask everyone, what does influence mean to you? I think influence is um, similar to another phrase I heard around reputation. It's, uh, it's the power that you elicit when you're not in the room. And I think there's something quite resonant about that because uh, influence is a fairly ethereal thing that sort of categorizes a lot of what you stand for in life, your values, your expertise and skill set, and your ability to connect and shape the narrative. So uh, for me, uh, it's something I stumbled into quite late in life, understanding what it means. And I've been very blessed to uh, find a number of things that's helped to catalyze my career growth in the last few years. So let's talk about that because, you know, looking at your position and the string of accolades that I've just listed there for the last five minutes, people would be forgiven to think that things have always been this way for you and, you, and you've always been this successful, but it, it wasn't always the way. Tell us, go back to the beginning, tell us about your start in the recruitment industry and how you made the shift to become what is now the technology impact leader for PwC. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a question I'm asked a few times is, is how on earth did you go from A to, to B or A to Z? And uh, I, I don't know, actually. I, I, I fell into university and did a very random degree in microbiology, which uh, didn't equip me at all for the pandemic, um, and, and fell into recruiting as my first career. Uh, you know, it was one of those jobs to, uh, to, 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 to get a start in life. But it was always one of those careers for me that was, I was thinking, what am I going to be next? But I'll just wait for that next bonus check next quarter before I decide. And then suddenly years had gone by. I was doing more and more senior stuff and uh, ended up even running my own business for, for a few years as well. I, th I think the truth is it, it wasn't something that I was particularly passionate about. And for me, a lot of sort of things sort of collided at the same time when I certain, hit a certain age in life. You know, there was uh, 
there's issues that I go into more detail about, you know, having lost my mum, uh, becoming a father. And I think you get to a certain point, I don't know about you, Nathan, where you're like, what's the mission? What's the point of all this, apart from just paying the bills? Uh, so that saw me on a whole... I describe it in hindsight as a bit of a voyage of discovery. I ended up having a fascinating foray into the humanitarian aid sector, which saw me working in West Africa at the heart of the Ebola outbreak response, uh, which was an extraordinary uh, few months of my life. And um, one thing led to another. I got back from that and my wife uh, uttered the immortal words, maybe it's time you got a grown-up job in life, Rob. And uh, (laughs) I want to save the world now. I want to do important things. But PwC sounded quite grown up, so I thought I'd go there instead. And uh, that was about eight years ago. And haven't looked back. It's been amazing. I had a a first role in more of a sort of an HR-type role. And by pure accident and nosiness and persistence, fell into a a role that had an artificial intelligence component to that. And uh, that was was all the encouragement I needed, really. And uh, the last few years have gone by in a blur, spoken at probably 500 events in 40 countries around the world, rubbed shoulders with the great and the good, had some great career growth opportunities and uh, continued to reinvent myself year on year. It's been, it's been a fun journey. Hmm. How, how do you reflect back on that journey over the last eight years, you know, entering P, PwC in HR to then, you know, jumping into AI and becoming now the technology impact leader for the company? Just define for our audience what that role entails, um, what role and responsibility you you have within the company and how you've been able to cultivate and grow that brand or that influence through your online content. I think in terms of the the, the journey, first of all, um, I mentioned before there was a, a burning desire to attach to something that could really stand for having some impact and influence and uh, shaping something that matters. And I think you can ask anyone and you would appreciate that technology very much is that. It's uh, It can be a force for good. It can lead to extraordinary benefits at a societal level, at business and planetary level and beyond. Um, but it's fraught with risks and it's fraught with all manner of dangers that uh, can lead to unintended consequences and can exacerbate harm, lead to discrimination and uh, perpetuate bias in society. So um, for me, as soon as I had the opportunity for part of that mission, I thought this is phenomenal because if you can just elicit change positively up here at the highest level, the way that cascades down and shapes things for the better throughout is very much within your gift. Now, um, that really started out initially within the AI field. Many of your listeners will have seen a huge amount of flurry of activity of late talking about things like chat GPT and the power of these tools that are starting to come through. They may even Mm. threaten the life of the podcast to my friend in the years to come. So watch out. Don't scare me. (laughs) This is powerful stuff. But again, these things uh, will lead to material change in, in, in the world of business and beyond. But um, you don't walk into these things blindly. So as a, a huge organization with 300,000 staff, 170 countries we represent in and working with all manner of organizations globally, uh, the the need to deploy technology is there. There's huge pressure on organizations coming out of the pandemic, facing up to the energy crisis, cost of living crisis, uh, disruptive threats on their very essence of their business model. The, the, the necessity to adopt technology at pace is very much there. But again, you don't walk in blind to this. 
So the safeguards, the checks and balances you can put into place, the way that this can be used to enhance your ESG credentials is very much central to technology. The way that you take a workforce on a major, major transition to upskill, to reposition them for the jobs of the future. You can look at technology in the round in all these different angles, um, and you have to have a joined up view on this because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So really, one of my roles here is to look at the technologies coming through to ensure they're deployed safely, responsibly, ethically. We look at things in the round both for our clients and ourselves in terms of how we deploy this and ensure we do everything we can to tip the scales in the positive direction. So Rob, you mentioned that AI may cause disruptions to podcasting. I think this is the question that all of us podcasters and content creators and marketers in general really have a lot of fear and trepidation about. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, sure, Nathan. So this is a topic that's been rearing its head for many, many years. The reason why I think it's gained even more attention in the last year is because of the developments in what we call generative AI. So you'll have seen a lot in the press uh, talking about uh, uh, tools or transformers that can generate text, images, synthesize voice and video. They can even start doing coding. So it's remarkably powerful. And it's seeing a huge amount of investment going into it across the tech industry. Um, realistically, there's a long way to go in terms of how this technology is adopted at scale. There's huge amounts of experiments being done on various use cases. But effectively, you've got to think about actually what this technology does and what the day-to-day role of a professional is. So realistically, it's still going to require companies that have the application of this in more high-risk use cases where there's a downside of things going wrong insisting there's a human in the loop to scrutinize, to put the safeguards in place, to put the checks and balances in place, because you cannot guarantee the output of these tools, whether it's content creation for marketing and podcasts, whether it's analyzing data, for example, you don't have 100% assurance that this is accurate and absolutely correct. So for me, in terms of the implications on jobs, on professionals in your field or others, it undoubtedly will have a bearing over the medium to long term in terms of the overall shape of jobs. It will augment certain tasks. It will automate other tasks. Um, but it's unlikely to like for like replace entire categories of roles entirely. So it really gets into the heart of the matter about this need for major upskilling and reskilling of people, thinking about taking ownership of how do you future-proof yourself in this, this world where you know, there's a lot of changes coming about due to these technologies. When it comes to upskilling and, and reskilling, it's, it's it's something I think about when it comes to things like the calculator. When when the calculator was invented, we don't have to manually, you know, bring out a, a piece of paper and add up numbers in our heads or do it on do the calculation on paper. We can use a tool to help us do that, and that frees us up to be more creative in other ways, right? If the generative AI is doing those robotic, mundane, day-to-day tasks, it allows human beings to really exercise their full capability. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a position that I've felt strongly about for many years now. There is there is a consideration about how fast this is moving, though. So in order to make sure this works well for the workforce of the future, uh, there's got to be the right governance in place, the right regulations that protect people. And uh, sometimes regulation is hard to keep pace with the development of tech. So I'm not saying that this is without risk. It's, it's not about massive downside risk only on 
uh, affecting people's jobs um, due to the pace of this is, is a, a key challenge. But for me, you're right. There's certain things I don't think these technologies will ever be able to do very well for a considerable period of time. Mm. And um, you start looking at some of the output from these technologies, and they're not 100% convincing yet. So I still think there's possibly um, a sort of an automation of things that are far more mundane and transactional, but there's a premium to be paid for human-generated content, insights, and application of their expertise that I think the customers and corporate clients will stay pay the right premium for to, to receive that level of the quality of uh, service. I think that's an important insight when it comes to the impact that AI will have on marketing jobs in particular, which is the field that I'm in, obviously. Um, when you think about content creation, a lot of people have said that AI is going to drive content creation, the cost of content creation to zero, because you know you, you can almost kind of write articles and blog posts and, and, and thought pieces um, much easier and, and quicker using generative AI. I think with that, because of that, it will probably lead to this urge for more people to want more human content. And by human content, I'm talking about, I mean, it's very hard to fake video content, such as what we're creating now. It's very hard to fake um, podcast content, although I'm sure there might be an AI around the corner that, that can produce um, video content that looks just as, as human as, as you and I. Do you think that is a future that we'll be going towards because AI is so good at creating copy and, and content, there's going to be more of an urge or more of a willingness for us to actually want content that can't be faked, video, podcasting. Well, it's certainly an optimistic hypothesis, Nathan, and uh, it's one I, I, I tend to lean towards because whilst these tools are increasingly powerful, quick, and incredibly persuasive, there's still something not quite right, you know, and there is something lacking in terms of um, originality of thought, of uniqueness of perspective, of real creativity. Now, there's some amazing creativity that comes from some of these things, some incredible artwork, for example, around some of the image generation out there, which I think adds a certain level of uh, something to society. But I still think there's probably a hankering for authentic human-led types of input around this. Um, but it's not to mean that people have to rest on their laurels on this. The big changes will come. Um, so I think you have to stay a, a step ahead of it and keep innovating, keep future-proofing yourself and keep investing in yourself around the various skills that will be increasingly in demand in the future. Last question about this, Rob, before we talk about some other things. But, you know, people have called generative AI the most significant technological innovation since the advent of the internet or the, or the iPhone. It's, it's a, in many ways, of this revolutionary technology. Is it as transformational as a lot of people have forecasted it's going to be? The simple answer is we don't know yet. Is There's, there's investment going in. There's uh, use cases being explored at a, a pretty rapid pace and um, a huge amount of excitement and hype around these things. Um, then again, hype has been around before. So I think it's wise to reserve judgment and stay informed. Um, but I sometimes shy away from these uh, these huge predictions of what's come around a corner. We can barely see what's happening at the end of the year. 
let alone the week sometimes at the moment. So I, th- I think you just have to be a little bit cautious around making these grand uh, pronouncements yeah. and just see how things go whilst taking some no regrets move along the way uh, to safeguard yourself, your people and your organisation. We do tend to get excited as human beings, don't we? We do, we do. And, and I totally get away. Uh, I totally get why we do that. And for what it's worth, I've been having great fun with it. I, My daughter mm. wants these tools now to uh, uh, create uh, bedtime stories, for example. She absolutely loves uh, hearing that, way beyond the capability of me coming up with something. Uh, she's sick of your stories. <laughs> she, she's, she's had all my stories now, and uh, she, wants, she, wants, she wants what the computer can do now. So, uh, so listen, I, I think they can be incredibly valuable and fun and really add a huge amount to, to our enriching our lives. But it's got to be on our terms, yeah? We've got to make sure that it does it in a way that safeguards human prosperity and well-being and the sustainability uh, of, of our livelihoods um, rather than being a servant to these tools. So it does require people weighing into this conversation for more walk of life, governments, regulators, people in business, subject matter experts, the general population at large, to shape it the way we want this to roll out rather than let it happen to us. Okay, so tell us how you have been able to grow your influence, especially on social, as far as communicating these messages to the market what role has that had in growing your own career at, at PwC? And just tell us the journey that you've been on as far as being an influencer in this space is concerned. I think um, having a starting career as a, as a recruiter helps because you know that your network is your livelihood. So I think that was base one in terms of understanding the need to build an enduring network and that's sustained with many platforms in particular linkedin and, and others um so i've always had a i guess a nosiness uh, a desire to connect and uh, an automatic kind of instinct to add people you know to my network when i when i have the opportunity to interact with them i think when you've then got something super interesting to talk about that is uh, engaging it can uh, activate conversations with the most senior people in business and government right down to school kids and, and all manner of other parts of life you've got real fascinating content to enrich and share with your network i think what i found though was that there was uh, and a lot of this is self-taught around thinking about some of the things that matter to me when i'm following people so i think when i started doing this i watched people i learned what works for them and uh, I, set, I settled on the fact that you can't influence everything you have to pick the two or three things that you are going to be renowned for the ones that you can build that enduring followership within and this acts as this flywheel that supports everything else happening in your job you know by the chance to speak at numerous events um, you've got to demonstrate where you're showing up, who you're showing up with, and you've got to have an opinion. And sometimes that doesn't collide well with direct corporate interests that want quite a, a clear and uh, unambiguous and fairly shiny approach to how content is distributed. So customization, personalization, getting an ability to, um, I guess, comment on third-party content and put your spin on it is vital, um, which is very different, I think, from a lot of corporate B2B uh, sort of machinery, which is much more about just pushing corporate content out without much differentiation and a bit of bringing your personality into it. So I think there's a lot about the ratio of what you're dropping, uh, the cadence, when, when you're putting some personality in, 
when all things go wrong, I just do some pictures of my dogs and that always gets <laughs> lots of likes and engagement. <laughs> Which makes you think, why don't I just produce more content like this, right? It gets so much more engagement than uh, pretty much everything else. Um, so that's super fascinating. So then talk us through the, you know, how you align PwC's corporate objectives and goals with your corporate, with your own objectives and goals when it comes to content creation, because, you know, there are lots of companies out there that would love to have a, a Rod McCargo talking about the topics that are really important to them, engaging their stakeholders and, and, and building an, an audience and potentially generating leads and, and opportunities, you know, down the line as well. How do you make sure that your content and what you put out aligns with the overarching goals and objectives of, of PwC? And how do you make sure that you're, you don't overstep the line? So I think you do have to have a really keen grasp of what the overall corporate strategy is. You know, you can't uh, be misaligned with that. So you, need, you know the direction of travel. For us over the last few years, it's been a, a very, very rapid growth in our technology uh, services and solutions, um, you know, which grow faster than maybe the areas where we are well renowned for in audit and tax and accountancy type activities. Um, so th th there's something about being clear on where the organization is going. And uh, you've got to, you can't be at odds to that. It's got to be well aligned. That doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, you're not able to bring some personality through. Um, I, I do think that you're also trying to inspire people internally so you're also looking at different people across the um, across across the, the landscape that you're looking to engage with, connect with, and influence. And that could be customers and clients. It could be people that want to join the organisation, and uh, it could well be colleagues internally that you're trying to communicate externally mm. to bring the message back internally. Uh, I think that's also a powerful thing. You know, I don't know how many times you've worked in corporate, Nathan, but you can guarantee that not many emails get read internally. But when there's an interesting perspective out there externally, it gets a lot more engagement and likes and uh, is uh, acted upon much more swiftly when people buy into it. So um, I, I think there's a degree of cherry picking what is relevant, as pertinent to your personal brand that gives you the greatest opportunity to amplify and customize. And uh, it's also, I think, about for more traditional organizations demonstrating that this whole approach to influence and social selling is not measured in the same way as maybe more traditional channels in sales and marketing. Mm. It's not a case of XYZ number of LinkedIn or tweets, posts, um, equates to XYZ revenue growth. Leads or opportunities, work that right. way. I mean, right. yes, there's various analytics that can give you some degree of that. But uh, uh, sometimes you have to win over stakeholders to demonstrate there is a bit of leap of faith here. A lot of it is anecdotal. And I can lead, I can recite a whole list of accolades, boards I've been appointed to, awards I've won, opportunities to meet clients and speak at events and the rest of that, it's less easy to attribute like-for-like -like direct commercial output mm. from these things. So you do need stakeholders to understand that it's a different channel to maybe more traditional measures. Mm. Mm. And and from, from your point of view then, how do you think about who your core audience are and who the wider networks audience are that maybe a secondary audience that you're trying to influence do you prioritize do you think about audiences in that way or when you're producing content and posting content i'd like to say i've got this grand master plan nathan i i, I don't think i've ever had a particularly clear strategy to do in this i've just always like 
if this content excites me, inspires me, it's relevant to me, and it's aligned with the overall purpose of the stuff I do at work, that's shareable. That's worth me commenting on, and I hope everyone feels the same passion of that, that comes through in what I say. Mm. Um, I, I think you can over-strategize this stuff too much because I think then it becomes a bit more formulaic, and that mm. joy and that craft doesn't show through. I, I, talk, I shouldn't say this, but I, I think about this with some of my posts, that you think about this as like sending your children out into the world. You know, they want them well-dressed, <laughs> you want their face washed, you want them to represent you well, no <laughs> right. swearing in public, not let right. you down, and don't come and back get to out of the house on time. Years. Exactly right, right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> so, and that takes a lot put, of care. Put your coat it takes on. a lot. It does. Where's your shoes? You lost them again. Dogs eating them. So, <laughs> so same applies to the perfect social post, in my opinion. You do it mm. through love and care rather than necessity and um, industry. Mm. So, so when thinking about your audiences, how do you think about balancing product-focused content, which I'm sure a lot of brands would want you to push? <laughs> you know, a lot of brands want to sell more products and services. How do you balance the need or the requirement to to talk about products without while balancing thought leadership and educating and and, and helping your audience? Is there a is there a framework that you use to think about that? Yeah, I mean, a framework might be too sophisticated a phrase, but it's something I do think a lot about. And and the way I try to articulate this point, Nathan, is that you've got to earn the right to to share some of those more commercial pieces of content with your followers. And you don't do that by having your entire feed full of corporate messaging. So I think there's something in the, the ratio and the cadence of your content plan um, it's heavily weighted towards commentary and opinion on third-party content um, that your followers will buy into and be you know, educated, entertained with. But I think occasionally then gives you that platform, that right to say, and by the way, this new report from us, I think super relevant mm-hmm. uh, because uh, mm-hmm. of these various points. I think that's the way that you earn the right to, to, to have a platform to share your own corporate content. Unfortunately, in my experience, the vast majority of companies get the ratio the wrong way around. They, they, mm-hmm. they litter it solely with their own corporate machinery and the occasional third-party content piece slips in. I think, it's, I think it has to be the way around, in my opinion. Mm. And, and so much of the content that you post is actually, you know, so much is from your real life. Um, you know, the events that you go to, the, uh, the experiences that you have, um, just going for walks, um, you know, out, out with your dogs, et cetera. What, why is that so important to bring that genuine, you know, real aspect of your life to, to your content? I think, um, I think, I don't think, I don't think people want sort of automatons and, uh, they don't want, you know, a very, very serious, polished corporate mouthpiece in my opinion i don't want to follow people like that so as far as i'm concerned uh you need to let people in and uh again it's back to what amuses me i don't think there's a plan or a strategy but if the dogs are something stupid that day or i've seen something inspirational out about my travels it's it's share worthy in my opinion i think it builds uh, a much more rounded perspective of who you are um i think it enhances your influence um, and I also think there's something about this around 
organizations want to do business with real people. People want to work mm. for organizations that comprise of real people. And I think showing the whole lot is really important. I think that transparency is, uh, is really credentializing. And uh, I'd rather people saw what I'm about rather than this polished image of me at work. And then, and then how do you sustain it, uh, you know, alongside your day job and everything else that you, you've got to do in life? How do you balance feeding your audience, nurturing your audience um, while, you know, doing your day job? I've, I've um, after a long period of time, won the argument that this comprises a portion of my day job. So seriously, I, I will have certain amount of objectives in place over the course of the year around you know in terms of the uh, the ability to to drive influence um mm. actually what i've now realized is that that's all well and good to a certain extent gets you individually up to a certain level um but that's not scalable so actually most of my focus now is how do i bring more people on the journey with me internally so we have a number of advocacy programs in flight. We have a number of uh, social accelerator programs being spun up. Um, a lot of it actually is down to reverse mentoring. So a lot of the more senior people are not social natives. A lot of the younger people coming into the audience are like phenomenally influential in their own sphere. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the guys in my team is uh, uh, an absolutely incredibly powerful TikTok influencer who. We got mm. quite big and viral during lockdown. And he's brilliant at coaching the senior people on how to build personal brand and how to be distinctive on social media, on other platforms. So mm. uh, I think uh, for me now, it, it comprises a, a portion of my mandate because it adds up to our overarching ambitions around uh, market eminence, around brand, and around commercial output. Mm. And, and your approach to producing this content for your audience and putting out thought leadership has been really instrumental in how you've grown your career and the opportunities that you've had as a result. Are there any key takeaways that you can share with our audience if they are thinking about doing a similar thing themselves? I, I think right at the start, it's really important not to lose faith. It can be a really unfulfilling um, phase of activity right at the beginning when you have not got an enduring network you get very little feedback. So you start wondering what's the point in doing it. So I would say right at the beginning, right. just persist, keep going at it, trust it will, it will come good and just get over that first hump. I think that's the first thing. Be laser-like in setting out what you stand for. I get a lot of colleagues asking to me to share extremely technical blogs on topics that would be a million miles away from the interest of my followership and mm. I politely decline. Uh, so be clear on the two or three key topic areas that you're going to become known for. I think that's really important. And I, I think you've got to be out there in the ecosystem. This is why I spend a lot of time at events and connecting in person with people and you know, finding myself in interesting places and just trying to tell the whole story rather than relying upon just pushing content. Um, so you know, show more of your, of your day, show more of your life and become more of a rounded personality i think is really important as well but i think the overriding rule is that there's going to be some people that will never see the point in this they won't ever believe in it and there's certain people that might see some value and will do it out of fomo or necessity okay that's fine you can't do much to help those people but you know i've seen transformative benefits from having a phase of my time focused on this stuff and um 
at the heart of this is find the joy in it. You've got to love it. You've got to find it fulfilling and you've got to derive pleasure from it. So if you see it as a chore, don't do it. Don't persist. It's not going to be something that's going to give you that payback. Hmm. Really, really good advice. Absolutely love those, those lessons. And then just finally, just before we close, what advice do you have for other organizations that want to, you know, find other Rob McCargos within their organization? How, how can they empower, how can they find those people? How do they encourage them to put more of themselves out there? What advice do you have for other brands wishing to, to do a very similar thing? I think it's almost certain those people already exist in the organization. Um, it, uh, it may well be that they have um, side hustles or other sides of their life that they don't bring to work. Um, I mentioned before the guy that's just a, a real TikTok influencer in, in, in my team. It's brilliant, but was underutilized in terms of what we can do. So, I mean, the first thing first, go find those people. They exist. Um, give them a platform. Give them support. Give them permission bring them into the tent around what the key messaging of the organization is, what the strategy is and get them active and, uh, and, and recognize and reward their efforts in terms of positively driving the brand. Um, so I don't think it's, uh, it's rocket science. Um, I think there's great, plenty of goodwill. Um, I think it's also about giving people the, the, the encouragement to, to be out there and, and sharing those, those positive messages as well. Of course, don't be wrong. There are myriad, you know, rules that have to go along with this. You've got to be sensible. There's many things you've got to basically think about that represents the brand well or poorly. Um, you know, you've got to have common sense. But once you've got through that, you know, you can have a, a really interesting career growth from 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 building a degree of influence in your job. And then, just related to that, how did PwC support you in the in in the beginning? I don't think they did at the start, Nathan, to be honest, um, because it, it was more something I was just pushing myself as an experiment because I enjoyed doing it. Um, it was only when we started pulling some analytics through and realizing that it was starting to bear some fruit that I think um, I started maybe doing some masterclasses and sharing some of my insights and uh, getting me more active and more on the circuit to give me more content to play with. Um, and then how do we find more and more of those people? So I, I think it's been it's been a journey over several years and quite iterative. Um, but now we've got huge amount of, uh, influence on this, you know, internally, there's huge appetite for this and, uh, and we're having a lot of fun with it now. And, uh, I can tangibly say these things drive benefits to organizations. You know, we've hired so many people through being much more engaging on social media as one example. And I think the other thing I wanted to add as well is I think the game has changed post-pandemic. So if we're now looking at this new world of work, we're looking at leaders in terms of how they show up where in more of a hybrid setting, they're not always there in person in the office, that necessity for leaders in terms of having that brand on social is, is essential now because their teams aren't just looking at how they show up on Zoom calls or in the office, they're looking at how they show up on social what they stand for, what their values are. You know, they're proud of talking about what their family stands for. Uh, and all of that, I think, leads to your influence as a leader. So I would say that this now moves out of hobby or nice to have to damn sense, you know, to straight down the middle, essential it's, 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 it's in terms essential. of your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, incredible. Because what other 
options do leaders have to get their voice and their message out there to the audience that they that they want to? I mean, they're they're left with very few other options of how to represent themselves authentically. Um, so I feel as though it's a it's a must these days. It's not something that's optional anymore. I think so. I, I do think so. And um, and I don't think it's something that uh, you find is something that's on the leader's L&D curricula by default. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not hardwired into MBA courses. You don't get it at business school. You know, it's not parts, it's not something they've been measured on previously, but I certainly think people with a commercial role, absolutely. This is essential around, um, part of their balanced scorecard. How are they representing the brand positively is how they represent themselves positively on social media. Rob, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. There's so much for our listeners to take away and learn from. Thank you so much for being on This Is Influence. Thanks so much for a brilliant conversation, Nathan. And uh, and I'm sure it's going to be a, a phenomenal series. Can't wait to listen back. This Is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B influencer agency for technology brands. I could not produce this amazing show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This Is Influence. Thank you.